0: Good morning. I'd like to uh, just very briefly thank all of you who put uh, uh, extra work and effort in for this morning. Um, with um, serving tea, I don't know all what's involved, but I know that it's quite a bit of work that's involved to make sure that we're compliant with uh, COVID regulations. Thank you to those of you who uh, who've made a special effort to come out this morning and see me off. In some ways, I kind of wish that every Sunday was my last Sunday. <laughs> and and that would be interesting. And a special welcome to Gerhard. Gerhard uh, made it out. Um, Val, is he 104 or 105? 104. 104 on... On the 30th of August. Welcome, Gerhard. Let's pray. Father, we thank you and praise you for your goodness to us, for your faithfulness to us uh, over the years, Uh, over the years of our lives. From the day that we have come to know you, you have been faithful. And uh, we thank you for uh, your promise that you remain faithful right throughout our lives. We ask that you will forgive us for the times that we may wander from you, the times that our hearts may grow cold, or that we may uh, need to be rebuked by you or corrected, uh, and yet we, uh, we still seem to be stiff of heart. We pray, Lord, that you will forgive us for those times. We thank you and praise you for the times of encouragement, where you encourage us in our weakness and in our... Uh, tiredness and in our inability to know uh, often uh, which direction to go in. We thank you that you continue to lead and guide us. We ask that you will be with us this morning as we look at these uh, passages here in Ephesians. We ask that your son would be honored and glorified. We ask that you will encourage us in the faith, encourage us to be uh, people who persevere, uh, people who find our strength in Christ and in him alone, people who want to live to bring honor and glory to him alone. Father, we just uh, ask that you will be with us and help us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So what I uh, kind of planned on doing uh, today was making it through chapter six of Ephesians, and I'm still going to try to do that but it's changed around a little bit because uh, a couple of weeks ago, I spent, um, uh, I spent two weeks in Ephesians chapter 4. So it doesn't work itself out to be just uh, one chapter um, per week as I thought it might be in the beginning. So what I want to do is just bring us up to speed very quickly. And then we'll, we'll look at some verses in Ephesians chapter 5. So a few verses, and some verses in Ephesians chapter 6. But I just want to bring us up to where we are uh, because uh, it has been a series going through Ephesians and uh, we just need to be reminded that in Ephesians chapter 1, the whole book, we get this incredible, um, this incredible revealing of the way of salvation in Christ. And we find out in chapter 1 that this is something that God has actually planned from before the foundation of the world. That um, particularly in chapter one and chapter and uh, chapter three we are told about this mystery that the mis- the mystery is Christ then the mystery is that Christ has come to save all of humankind, not just the Jew but the Gentile as well and he's pulled them together and brought them together and made one new man out of the two and so in chapter one we are The the verses sound like this. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ for he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. And he goes on and talks about how God has predestined us in love uh, to to be saved in Christ, to be brought into Christ um, and enjoy all of the blessings of salvation that God has for us. Over in uh, chapter 2, we are told how that actually happens. God has planned it from eternity. He has executed his salvation in Christ, in history, in real time, in real life. But then how is it that the Gentiles get there? How do they get to Christ? Do they need to be circumcised? Do they need to keep the law? And we find out no. It's by grace through faith. Reading here in... um, over in chapter 2, verse um, 3. This is describing the Gentiles now. Like the rest, we were by nature children of wrath. It's actually Jew and Gentile that are being described here. But because of his great love for us, God who is rich in mercy made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. which God prepared in advance for us to do. So we find in chapter one that God has an explanation of how God has planned and executed salvation from before the foundations of the world, from before the creation of the world. And then uh, in chapter two, we are told how it is that we access that. How is it that we can participate in that salvation that has been accomplished? for us by Christ and we're told that it is by faith it's not by works it's simply hearing the gospel and believing it's hearing the gospel and accepting by faith what the gospel says that salvation is in Christ and in Him alone it's not a result of your righteousness or your knowledge or your giftedness or a mere power of your will it's by faith we come by faith And it's not by works. Faith itself being a gift of God, so that none of us can boast about being a Christian. If you tend to boast about being a Christian, or if you tend to elevate yourself above your neighbor, um, then you need to look a little bit closer about how it is that you yourself have come to salvation. And it says in verse 10 that we are God's handiwork. He has worked us. Um, We are His workmanship. This is chapter 2, verse 10. We are created in Christ Jesus through uh, being made alive with Christ because of his resurrection. Uh, we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So um, the first couple of chapters, and then the next, then chapter three gets into where uh, Paul is explaining further the mystery of Christ to the Gentiles, that Jew and Gentile come together. Um, he says to them over in chapter 3, uh, verse 4, uh, you will be, in reading this, you'll be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, <clears throat> which was not made known to men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to this, uh, by the Spirit to God's holy apostles, and prophets. This mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and shares together in the promise in Christ Jesus. And then one body becomes very important in this letter, this this um, um, being brought together in the body of Christ, and then how that uh, helps determine and motivate the way that we are to live with one another, the way that we are to treat one another in and live with one another. In chapter 4 is where um, Paul begins to make this transition then of how we live this out. So we have salvation explained. We have how we enter into that salvation in Christ by faith. And then we have also along with that a description that we are made alive. We were dead in trespasses and sins, but God has made us alive in Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. That's um, chapter 2, verse 5. It's by faith that we are saved. Then, that does begin a change. It begins a change in us because God is at work in us. He's alive, living in us by His Spirit when we come to Christ by faith. And because that's the case, then the life that we live here in, the, in, in our daily living is a life where we are encouraged to live in particular ways that are consistent with being made alive in Christ. So we begin to reflect Him. Um, We are uh, created to be like God, as chapter 4 talks about. We are created to be like God. It doesn't mean that we're created to be God or divine, but we are created to be like God. So then what happens in chapter four? The the whole the church is brought is brought into it. The, the church we see that the church is the place where all of this is unfolding and all of this is taking place, and that the mystery of salvation to all humankind is actually manifest in the, in the church. And that's one reason it's so critical for us in the church to demonstrate the unity that we have in Christ. It's a demonstration of what God is doing and what He has brought together. Chapter 4 unpacks that. I'm not going to go into chapter 4 so much. We spent a couple of uh, weeks in chapter 4. But then we find at the end of chapter 4, and I believe that all of this that unpacks now in chapter 4, chapter 5, chapter 6, has to do with what we are... uh, the good works that we are created to do. We are created in Christ Jesus to do good works. Chapter 2, verse 10 says, well, what are the good works? Well, they start being unpacked in the next few chapters. And you might think these are big works of going out and doing all kinds of amazing things like uh, supporting schools, or, but, and those may be included, but actually the good works that are being spoken about in Ephesians are simply how... Are we getting along with each other? How are you treating your neighbor? How are you loving and demonstrating your love for one another? And uh, chapter four gets into that. Chapter four spends a bit of time on the things that we need to stop doing, as well as some of the things that we need to do. But then at the end of chapter four, um, it, it takes a little bit of a, uh, a change in direction and um, it, it's a mixture really, chapter 4 and chapter 5, of things that we need to stop doing. If we really love God and we love one another, then there are certain things we need to stop doing. And there are other things that we need to be doing. And I'm picking it up with um, the reading uh, that Barry brought to us was uh, picked up at chapter 4, verse 32. And this, is the, this this section here is describing the life, the living um, of people who have come to Christ by faith, they've been included in Christ, and as a result of that, their lives change. There are things that they, uh, that, that they don't do anymore, and the thing, there are things that they do, and it's like that until the day that we die, and it's like that for you. If you, are, if you know Christ, then your life will be a struggle. It will be a struggle from now to the day that you die. It doesn't mean that you're going to struggle in and out of heaven. It just simply means that you're going to struggle as you are on your way to heaven, if you want to put it that way. And so he, uh, Paul starts in 4.32, Be kind and compassionate to one another. Forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. It's just a little, just a little uh, uh, rabbit trail here. Uh, I've said before that our, that our personal ethics uh, are always brought back to our relationship with Christ and what he has done for us. You can find that here in this verse. Why should you be kind? Why should you be compassionate? Why should you forgive each other? Simply because... In Christ, God forgave you. And if you don't know that, it will be much more difficult and it won't make sense to be kind and compassionate and forgive other people. If you know the forgiveness of of God in Christ, then that will be something that will continue to work itself out in your life. Now, you could say there's a passive part to that. The Holy Spirit works that. But there's an active part in it as well. And that's simply that when you know that you should be forgiving someone, you better do it. You need to work on it until you do it. But as we look at this, well, it it comes up in the next verse as well. Be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children and live a life of love. Why? Just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. That's what should drive us. What should drive, what should be the imperative for us in terms of the way we live is that we are united to Christ and we, we know Him and, and He lives in us by His Spirit. And so our lives are animated in a different direction. But there, it never becomes like a, a, a do this thing separated from God or separated from our life in Christ. It doesn't become just a philosophy or a set of rules that we are supposed to follow. It actually, Paul is always bringing us right back um, to Christ. And Let me read to you um, uh, another passage that almost parallels this. Um, this chapter 2, uh, live a life of love just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. Over in Galatians chapter 2, Paul um, Paul speaks about this in a, in a kind of a little bit more personal uh, speak, speaking of himself. He says, uh, uh, "I have, uh, For through the law I died to the law so that I might live for God. I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That's what it's saying here. Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. Whether Paul's speaking as an individual or whether Paul's speaking here to the church. Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. And his his sacrifice is a fragrant offering. I was thinking about this recently thinking, you know, when I think of uh, an offering that would pay for my sins, it seems like that offering would kind of stink. But that's not what happened. When Christ offered himself for our sins, for my sins, for your sins, his sacrifice, his sacrifice was a fragrant offering to God. Um, he did what was right. He bore our sins. He picked them up. He carried them. And when he paid for them, God was pleased. And it was, a, as, it, as Paul says here, it was a fragrant offering. That Christ made. It was acceptable. He was the lamb without blemish. So even though he was paying for uh, sins and darkness and ignorance and all that kind of stuff, nonetheless, he offered himself up as a fragrant offering. And you can see that that's, in a sense, from another perspective, that that is proven by his resurrection from the dead. Now, just very quickly, this, um, this motivation that I spoke about in terms of not being far from Christ at all when it comes to how we are to live. I'm not going to spend much time at all in uh, chapter 5, verses 21 through through 6, 9. So chapter 21 through 6, 9 divides into categories some of our social uh, relationships. But if you read it carefully, you'll find out That every single one of them, the people are pointed, the groups are pointed to Christ. Uh, The the wives are to submit to their husbands as to the Lord. The husbands are to to love the wives as Christ loved the church. The children are to obey their parents in the Lord, for this is right. Slaves are to obey their uh, earthly masters as they would obey Christ. Uh, And it goes on, and, and he talks about the masters. And he says, you have a master in heaven. So at each point where he's talking about how to live, he directs each of those people, each of those categories to Christ, to their relationship with Christ, their knowledge of him, all of the things that Christ has done for them, and that is to be their motivation for, let's say, being good. That's why people often say being a Christian isn't just being good. Because it's not just being good. It's being reconciled to God through Christ. It's being brought into union with Christ by faith. We are brought into union with him. And then the new life begins. Uh, We are made alive with Christ. And that new life begins. And that transformation in this life is evidence. It's evidence that we are actually Christians. It's evidence that we are uh, redeemed by Christ. Verse 3 of chapter 5. He goes on now, and these kinds of things that he's talking about are things that would have been uh, common amongst um, the Ephesians, uh, both Jew and Gentile. It was just common in the culture. If you look at these and you think about them, they're, they're common in our culture. Uh, they're some of the basic values, if, if you will, of our culture today that doesn't know God. Uh, verse three, but among you there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or of greed, because these are improper for God's people, holy people. Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. For of this you can be sure: no immoral, impure, greedy person—such a person as an idolater—has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. And you look at that and you say, "What? How is that possible?" How is it possible uh, that we live in the culture that we are in and we're supposed to live like this? It seems impossible. And it is impossible if we're doing that ourselves. If we have not been regenerated by Christ. If we, don't have, if we haven't been made alive by Christ. If we don't have a spirit living in us. And if we do, this is, what, this is the target. This is what we shoot for. Doesn't mean we always get it. But this is, what, this, is how, this is the imperative. That we're not supposed to be engaged or uh, there, there be a hint of sexual immorality. And how easy is that today? Um, we're, uh, impurity, I guess that has to do with a lot of different things, but, uh, or greed. You know, money is supposed to be the thing. Money is supposed to be the thing that drives us. And it is held out there as our, as our great value because money provides for us everything else that we want. Security, happiness, pleasure, power. And yet, we are not supposed to be um, greedy people. These things are improper for God's holy people. We're supposed to be holy. That's the difference. We're set apart from the world and we're set apart to God. Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk. Well, can I just tell a dirty joke? Can I just make a little bit of a racial slur? Um, can I just be mildly obscene? I don't know if, you, if any of you have seen the uh, Christian comedian, I think his name is Tim Hawkins. He's got a whole show on Christian curse words. It's funny. It's funny. You could watch it, it's okay. But it's just odd that on the one hand, we're not supposed to curse, but here, we, we got some words that are okay to use. No, all these things, they're out of place, but they're to be, they're to be uh, replaced with thanksgiving to God. Have you got anything to give thanks to God for that could replace some of the things that you normally say and you know you shouldn't say, you can't seem to help yourself? Thanksgiving. And then the uh, warning is there to us that if you're being taught that you can be a Christian and just have all these things and do all these things continually and not make any changes, uh, you don't actually inherit the kingdom of Christ. We are actually involved in idolatry if we think that that's what we can do, that we can just... Live out the way we live. And that's what's so, one of the things that's so important about understanding what it means to be a Christian. If you think that being a Christian is simply, oh, I heard about this good, neat religion. Or I grew up in this country, and we have this neat religion. It's called Christianity. And yeah, I guess I'm one of those. Because I was born here. Then you misunderstand what being a Christian is. It's not simply just uh, following an external philosophy or religion. Um, It's actually having all of the things that we've talked about uh, happen uh, in the first three chapters of Ephesians. And it seems like there might even be people there who are deceiving them with empty words. And and Paul is saying, no, no. Actually, what happens is we don't just continually uh, engage in all of these things uh, without any repercussions. In fact, he says, God's wrath, his judgment comes on those who are disobedient. And he's telling them, therefore, do not be partners with them. Now, the next section, verse 8 and following, is just, again, because of this transformation in life, we are now... uh, He's reminding them. He reminds them at one point that they were dead in their trespasses and sins. And that now they've been made alive in Christ. He reminds them again in verse 8 of chapter 5. You were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Or children, children of light is another way to put it. They are light in the Lord. Live as children of light. And he explains that the fruit of the light consists in goodness, righteousness, and truth. These things, goodness, righteousness, and truth are not just uh, old, weary values of a bygone culture. These are actually the things that God wants of human beings. These are the things that we are supposed to be uh, wanting and working out. And figuring out how do we get goodness? How do we act with goodness in our lives? What is righteousness? What is truth? What are these things? These are the things that God values and says, here's what you're supposed to look like. After all, we are created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness, as it says in one of the other chapters here in Ephesians. And we're to find out what pleases the Lord, taking off from goodness, righteousness, and truth. truth, If you struggle, well, what should I do here? Well, you need to find out what pleases God if I'm practicing goodness, righteousness, and truth in this situation. And he tells them to leave the fruitless deeds of darkness, uh, have nothing to do with them, but in another sense, he's saying rather expose them. He says, everything exposed by the light becomes visible and everything that is illuminated becomes a light. This is why it is said, wake up, O sleeper, rise from the dead and Christ will shine on you. I think that what Paul is doing there is encapsulating what it means for someone to become a Christian. What conversion looks like, wake up, O sleeper, rise from the dead and Christ will shine on you. That's what happens when when we become Christians then your life itself becomes a light. Then the life of a a local church that confesses Christ, it becomes a light. Christ is the one who shines on us and gives us new life and helps us even to be able to see the difference between the light and the darkness. He says, you were once darkness. And in in our darkness, we don't even know it until the light shines on us. He goes on, he says, um, um, let's see, picking up in verse uh, 14. Live a life of love. That's how we are to be characterized, is your life, is my life, characterized as a life of love. Pursuing goodness, righteousness, and truth in our relationships, in our daily living. We are to live a life of love. And this is a description of that new life that comes through conversion and and through being made alive in Christ. Verse 15 and following. Has to do with the way we live in relationship to each other and the way we we live uh, in terms of the fact that the world does look at the church. The world looks at the church and judges the church, uh, we want to say sometimes, very harshly. Certainly not according to their standards, what the world does is they say, here's, here's what you say you should be living like, and you're not. So we're going we're gonna to poke you real hard. Uh, they don't judge us by their standards. They judge us by our standards. Be very careful, then, how you live. Not as unwise, but as wise. Making the most of ev- every opportunity because the days are evil. That's just a kind of a shorthand way of saying this is the time when we need to be looking for opportunity praying for opportunity to proclaim the gospel we are in the age the day of salvation and we are to be proclaiming the gospel and that's what the church needs to be on about all the time don't be foolish but understand what the lord's will is don't get drunk it leads to debauchery and here again just like don't talk about don't speak like this but but be but uh Be giving thanks to God instead. And here we're not supposed to be uh, uh, drunk on wine, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another as we sing hymns and songs, as we've done already this morning, we will continue. There's that dimension where we are actually worshiping God, and you know that, but we are also teaching each other. We are also encouraging each other in the faith as we sing these psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. And he brings it up again, giving thanks to, the, to God, our Father. This next section is the one I, I said I won't, uh, I won't deal with in any detail other than j- just to draw your attention to the fact that every one of those um, social uh, patterns, those social categories, uh, wives, husbands, fathers, slaves, masters, um, he... he motivates them by appealing to what Christ has done for them. And out of that, he says, therefore, this is how you should live because of what Christ has done for you. And then finally, in chapter 6, just wrapping it up, and um, uh, I'm I'm not going to be going through uh, this verse by verse, but finally in chapter 6, Uh, is where Paul says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Remember this power, we've already looked at it a couple of times. It's the power of the resurrected Christ, his pouring out his spirit on the church, which is us, and we have that new life and we have the spirit living in us, his mighty power. That's what we have. He's appealing to them. This whole letter has to do With being strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. And all of these different things. Even the passages that we didn't look at. How does a husband be a husband? He needs to be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. And then he describes what we have to engage in the struggle. We have the power of the gospel to engage in the struggle. And all of these blessings of the gospel here in the last chapter, which were also laid out for us in the first chapter in a different way. Not so much in terms of the the, the push and pull of daily life, but in the first chapter, the spiritual blessings, we see them in heaven. This is what God has done for us in heaven. And so here's what we have here while we're living out our lives, is that we have the, the armor of the gospel, the armor of the spirit, put on the full armor of God, we looked, uh, a couple months ago now, I, I think we looked at the world, the flesh, and the devil. And This is a spiritual, it's a spiritual reality. We're sitting here this morning, I'm speaking words to you. Are they real? It's a spiritual reality. And if you're a Christian, you know that. If you're not, then you don't know that. It reminds me of... Um, I forget what book it was, but uh, Frederick Nietzsche wrote a book where he was criticizing the church. And the whole book basically was about criticizing Christianity. And I realized at the end of that book that the problem was that he had no idea how to understand or see the Spirit of God. And if the Spirit of God was absent and he couldn't see it, then what he was saying about the church was true. It was an empty shell without the Spirit of God. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood. But against the rulers. Authorities. The powers of the dark world. Therefore put on the full armor of God. So that when the day of evil comes. You will be able to stand your ground. And after you have Uh, And after you have done everything to stand. There's a sense in which being a Christian is simply, verse 14, stand firm then. Is simply standing even though the world is trying to smack us down all the time. All the time. Do You ever get tired and weary of just being smacked down by the world? Over and over and over and over and over again? Um, Just a... A pet peeve here, I suppose. I was just reading, a, just reading I forget what it was exactly. It was a survey that was done or it was a comment that somebody was making that uh, they were aware that in their denomination, 30 to 40% of the churches in that denomination are discontinuing after the COVID shutdown because the people don't want to go back to church. They're happy sitting at home in their uh, I think, as it was put, eating, yeah, in their jammies, eating their donuts or something—I don't know—they think that they can get along without the church. We think that we can somehow do do this, all of these things by ourselves, as long as we're able to sit in the comfort of our living rooms and watch it on TV. And then the question is, that, is asked: Is that really worship? How, how does that work? You can think about those things a little bit more. point point I'm making is standing firm. We need to stand firm. And these things are given to us so that we stand firm as Christians. Belt of truth, buckled around our waist, breastplate of righteousness, our feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace, taking up the shield of faith, etc., the helmet of salvation, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. This is the same strength uh, as we looked, as we have seen already uh, in uh, chapter three, verse sixteen. I pray that out of His glorious riches He may strengthen you with power through His Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. This is the Christian life. This is the normal Christian life. It is the Christian life that God um, wants you, desires for us to live. And so I'll simply end here with what Paul says be strong in the Lord. Finally, he says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Let's pray. Father, we thank you and praise you for the power of Christ. We thank you that by virtue of his death and resurrection, he has overcome the world. He has established uh, full righteousness um, on our behalf in heaven. He has offered himself as a fragrant sacrifice for our sin, which is not fragrant. We thank you and praise you that this sacrifice is the, the lamb without blemish, that he has borne our sins on the cross. We thank you and praise you that becoming Christians, being part of this thing, is so, it's so simple. It does not require us to go up to heaven and check it out or go down to hell to check it out. Simply, to come to faith in Christ, to trust in Him. But Father, we thank You and praise You for this Gospel. We ask that it is uh, the message that will continue to be proclaimed here in this church for decades to come. We trust and we ask that You will grant um, Your church that privilege to be continually engaged in the ministry of the Word in the ministry of the gospel here on this mountain and far afield. We pray these things in Jesus' name for his honor and glory. Amen.